So we are looking at the middle portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's the bit we're in at the moment. We're in our uh, studies together. If you're a guest in the church, if you don't come to this church regularly, then the way that we uh, treat the Bible is very much listening to it to hear what God is saying to us through it. And we want to listen particularly to what Jesus has to say about how people are designed to live. And this is set out in a a very long section of teaching in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, a very long sermon. And we're looking at the middle bit at the moment. It's a a section where Jesus talks about how to practice a life before God, how to live well before God. To live as spiritual people, if you like, as three-dimensional people. Most of the world lives in two dimensions. And... Actually, the problems of that in terms of emotional stress and anxiety build up over time because the way that we live doesn't take account of who we are. We are spiritual people. And Jesus wants to teach us how to live well as spiritual people. The key to following what Jesus has to say here is always to remember that he begins by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I say that every week because... His teaching, first and foremost, is rooted in the value of humility before God, of grace, of, of the need for each one of us to come to God and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And actually that phrase makes sense of everything else Jesus says. If, you come, if we come forgetting that he begins with grace, then we totally miss the point of everything else he says. The question is, having come to God in humility, looking for grace, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, how then do we live? How do we live well? How does God intend people to live? What's the plan, if I could put it that way? And we've been working through this. We looked at different uh, areas of of spiritual life. We looked at prayer, of uh, almsgiving, of fasting. Actually, I brought brought in a book for the church. I meant to say this the other day. If you're someone who's interested in finding out more about fasting, I really, really recommend this book, God's Chosen Fast. Uh, it's a very short book. It's about uh, 140 pages. The print's big. It's basically a Bible study on fasting. So if you're looking for a book about fasting, if you think, I don't get it, then this book is very good. And there's another one called A Celebration of Discipline that's a bit longer, that's very, very good. Uh, I mentioned that because I preached during it a couple of weeks ago. If you're interested, have a look. Uh, they're both very good on practically how do I go about it. So now I want to to look at another key part of Christian spirituality, which is how we relate to money. Really, the other areas that Jesus has been talking about is how we live before God rather than people. And now he wants to to address how we deal with possessions, with money or materialism. And we're going to read from several bits of the Bible. Uh, Every week I include some writings from the Old Testament, that's the Jewish Bible that came before Jesus, Jesus' Bible if you like. Uh, Some writings from Jesus' own life, so we can see how this works out in his life. And some writings from after his life, to see how the church reflected on it, from the different bits of the Bible. So we're going to read those now. I'm going to get, this is Isaiah, I'm not going to read this again, I literally just read it. We read it every week when we take the offering. So we're now going to get uh, Liz to come and read Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24 to us. If you have a Bible, a paper Bible, do grab it and keep this passage open. This is the one passage you need to have open in front of you. Uh, It's on page 
971, if you're using one of the Bibles from the back. Liz, do you want to come and speak to us? There you go. Um, if it's easier, you can read off that, if the text is easier. Yeah, it's the same, or this one. Okay, well, it's all right. Oh. Okay, we've got the page. So, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, and in my version it's entitled Treasures in Heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Hmm. Thanks. Uh, then I'm going to read from, don't worry about turning to this, but I'm just going to read some other passages. This is what Jesus says in John 8, verse 34 to 36. It's going to come up in the sermon later, so I want you to read it. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then I'm going to get... uh, I've got a name, Pat, to come and read uh, from Colossians. Pat, do you want to come read to us? I'm reading from Colossians 2. Don't worry about turning to it. Um, the... When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having considered concealed the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's from Colossians 2, 13-15. Thanks. Oh, oh. I'll do the next one. You do. Okay. It's a problem with getting people up and giving them a microphone. <laughs> Don't want to go and sit back down. You can sing at the end if you want. This is what St. Paul writes. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and to be willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. 
so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Every week I try and give a summary of what I'm saying. And this is this week's summary. Uh, This is uh, my lunchtime summary. So if you go home and you have family and they say, what did you do this morning? Uh, Then you can say, what I did this morning was uh, hear from the Bible, read from the Bible about how money and materialism disappoint, deceive and enslave. But Jesus frees us to live for eternity. Money, materialism, disappoint, deceive and enslave. But Jesus frees us to live for eternity. Money and materialism disappoint, they deceive and they enslave. But Jesus frees us to live for eternity. I'm going to leave that there for a minute. Uh, Abba famously sang, I couldn't download this video, but Abba famously sang, Money, 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 Must Be Funny, in a rich man's world. And uh, I love that song. I absolutely love Abba. It's a kind of closet. Uh, you're going to get a sense of my musical taste. I'm very into jazz music, but also late 70s pop and rock. So uh, they have this song. It's, it's an enormously ironic song for Abba to sing, because the net worth of each of the members of Abba is currently estimated to be between 200 and 300 million dollars. But actually, that I, when I found that out, I felt like it illustrated a profound point. And indeed, one of the things Jesus is saying to us in these verses, that without any sense of embarrassment... People who are multi-multi-millionaires can sing about how money must be funny to other people. It's a bit like John Lennon singing about imagining there are no possessions. And then you read about how many millions of dollars he has made. How many, um, Paul McCartney, by the time uh, the, the millennium turned around and become Pop's first billionaire. And yet his songwriting partner, who was already a very, very rich man by the time he died, had the most famous song he ever wrote being, Imagine There Are No Possessions. So you think, well, imagine there are no possessions, John. I don't have to work very hard to imagine that. I imagine you do. There's something deceitful about money. There's something strange about money. Something strange which it does to us. Something strange which it tells us that I think needs exploring and frequently isn't, we frequently aren't able to explore. So here's some reflections. Money and materialism are inescapable. The love of money in our culture is inescapable. The love of things is inescapable. It dominates everything. When Heather and I were away camping uh, with some friends of ours in a field, I listened to, while we were putting down our tent, I listened to a very interesting debate going on among a campfire about Brexit. And I'm going to tell you everything I think about Brexit. No, I'm not. <laughs> You're welcome in this church if you are fervently pro-Remain. You are welcome if you believe that we need to leave the EU. Jesus loved both of you. What was interesting for me was this debate took on, and then it turned into a debate about taxation and uh, social policy. I mean, it was interesting. These people were sitting around the campfire. They had decided to come away together. They were having coffee and they were debating the state of the world. Almost all of their debate reflected economics. That was all, all they mentioned. The only thing. Really interesting for me. Because they then came up to me and said, you've been putting down your tent for an hour now. What do you think? 
I said, I said to them, it's really interesting to me that in all of your conversation, I'm not going to tell you what I think about Brexit, but it's really interesting to me that the only thing you've mentioned is economics. All you think about is money. I wonder why that is. And the woman who was asking me the questions looked at me and she said, do you know what, that's right, I hadn't even noticed. I hadn't even noticed. Everything we talk about, we think about. It's the God of our age. I don't know whether you sometimes read the stories of the ancient world, particularly in the Old Testament. It's difficult to imagine how it was people lived in societies where they sacrificed their children to other gods. And one of the defining things about the God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ, is that he will never require child sacrifice, right? If you've ever wondered how to understand the story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac, that's how you understand the story. One of the main ways is that God says to Abraham, no, defies his expectation about what God is like, and from then on, there is a rule, and it goes to all the prophets, that God despises child sacrifice, hates it. Children are really important to Jesus and to God. You ever wonder how it is that these cultures came to sacrifice their children? But then I look around me and I sometimes wonder how we do the same thing. In pursuit of economic ends. It's a sobering thought. Family decisions are very often based upon employment and earning money. Now, I'm not there to condemn that. The way the society is structured is you have to think about that. I wonder how many families in this area really feel like they have a choice about where they work, what work they do, whether both parents work, whether they work in the city or not. How many people feel they have a choice? Very few, I would imagine. Because our society pushes us to value money more than anything else and then structures everything else around that value. So government policy under Labour... It's a bit complex, I know, but stick with me. Under Labour governments and Conservative governments, government policy is designed to get as many people into work producing as much money as possible in order to get as much taxation as possible to spend as much money as possible. That's actually been the common position under both governments for at least 35 years. There are nuances. Where do you spend the money? Do you spend it on defence and policing or do you spend it on welfare? The basic question is always, how do we get more people earning more money to pay more tax? Everything in our culture is defined about money. The thing about money is it promises an awful lot. I wonder why it is we fall into this trap. And I think Jesus puts his finger on it here. You see, money promises security and significance. This is what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Storing up for yourself. Making empires for yourself. Why? Because we're worried about what will happen tomorrow. And so we get as much as we can to hold on to it. It promises security and significance. But delivers disappointment. This is what Jesus says. He says... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, money promises something to us. It makes a promise that if you get me, you will be happy. We'll think about that in a minute. And you will be secure. You will be a significant person. And yet Jesus is saying is even as soon as you get it, it started to be destroyed. You can think of extreme examples of this. While we were away, the most touching moment for the weekend for me when we were away wasn't actually seeing people healed, which we did, which was amazing, and hearing uh, 
Jesus talked about and seeing people give their lives to him. It was when a South African, not South African, sorry, a Zimbabwean church leaders, two of them, got up and uh, part of the New Ground family of churches, the family we're exploring, we support churches in areas of the world where they can't, don't have enough money to live. And they were saying that the reality of living in Zimbabwe at the moment is that hyperinflation has got to the point where there's something like the currency has been devalued by 200 trillion percent since Mugabe first took possession of the land. They reintroduced the Zimbabwe Zim. I mean, forgive me, I know that we have native Africans here and I'm, forgive me if I'm getting stuff wrong, but I'm doing my best to recollect it. The Zimbabwean Zim, and overnight, the currency was worth one-twentieth of what it had been worth before. Do not store up for yourself treasures on heaven, it's just treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where rust takes away. Jesus is saying, this stuff, it, it looks permanent, but it's, it's nothing. It's nothing, it's gone. Like that. You can think, think about stock market crashes. How many people were sold in downward mortgages? Just store up the treasure, 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 store up the treasure. You'll be fine. It will keep on growing forever. Jesus says, no, moth's coming. It's going to eat it. There's going to be rust. And then overnight the stock market crashes. Where did it all go? That's one way that moth and vermin destroy. But the other way is that um, the Proverbs put it like this. It says, money grows wings. Such a biblical phrase. Money grows wings. I've got it, but I want a bit more. You see this with children. There's no amount you can give them that will eventually satisfy them because they just learn to adjust their expectations. I've got the money, I've spent the money, so now I look for something else to spend the money on. Psychologists uh, notice this. It's a, it's a law of diminishing returns. It's actually why people get addicted to drugs. I don't know if you knew that. One of the, one of the reasons... It, each time the hit is a little bit less satisfying than the one before, so you need to take a little bit more to, do, to get it. Same is true with money. You buy all the things you want and you think, oh, well, I want more things. Money makes wings. It flies away. And there's never quite enough. So money promises security and significance, but delivers disappointment. Who was the richest man in the world 30 years ago? Anybody know? 40 years ago? 50 years ago. I I don't have the answer. Nothing of eternal significance. Money promises wisdom. You see, materialism promises wisdom. This is the reason why public policy is is, uh, put in these terms. So you have uh, Jesus saying, if the eye of your body... The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. I don't know if you've ever wondered what he's talking about there. When he talks about healthy eyes, it's a metaphor in his culture for generous eyes. If you have generous eyes, your body's full of light. But if you have ungenerous eyes, if your eyes are unhealthy, if we prioritise gaining rather than giving, the lamp produces darkness. Jesus is a kind of poet here. What's he trying to say by this idea of there's a light inside you and every time the light shines it makes the place more dark than it was before? What he means is there's something about this that's deceptive. 
you think, we think, one thinks, that when we prioritise profitability, when we prioritise obtaining things, obtaining security, we need just enough to keep our family secure, we need just enough to provide for our pension, we need just enough, we always need just enough, just enough, we just need another holiday. He says it feels like a wise way of living, like you're putting a lamp. But the, the paradox is every time this lamp shines, you actually make worse and worse decisions. You get more and more foolish. That's how you end up with a society that works longer and longer and longer and gets less and less and less happy. Again, I'm talking about on a societal level. We can put it down to our uh, personal level as well. As we prioritise money and possessions in decision making, they cause us to make bad decisions. It causes us to make bad decisions because we prioritise the wrong thing. We don't prioritise the thing that will make us happy and will make other people happy. We prioritise the thing that will get us more. So Jesus says, it's like you've got this lamp and instead of showing you the way, it makes the path dark. Promises freedom but delivers slavery. Here's the most extravagant claim. See, Jesus is building up. He does this. Eventually, he gets, he gets to the point where he says, you, you, you can't serve two masters. Money will make you its slave. Materialism, the pursuit of possessions, will make you its slave. Jesus says. If you imagine you can serve money and something else, then you're wrong. I'm wrong. What does that look like? Well, I find it inconceivable that our society could escape from the trap that I'm in. I just find it inconceivable. It makes you a slave, as I said. It's hard to imagine. I, I've done over the years a number of sessions of pastoral counselling with people who come to me and say, look, I want to pursue this way of life. I want more time with my family. I want more time to give to other people. I know, I sense that I'm stressed. I'm worn out. People inside the church and outside the church. I feel like my life is meaningless. I've spent all my life getting more and more possessions. I've worked harder and harder. I, I I, it, and, and now I'm in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And, and I've come to the point I've realised I, I was following this path along and I've got to a dead end and I don't know where to go and, and I'm trapped. And Jesus says, yeah, you are trapped. Bob Dylan, this is, the, uh, this is Bob Dylan, late 70s Bob Dylan. He had a song called You've Got to Serve Somebody. Dylan, with his customary insight, when he became a Christian, realised that he had to make a choice, that there was no neutral ground. So he goes through this song, he goes through hypocritical politicians, uh, hypocritical preachers, dust workers, millionaires, and the constant refrain is, you've got to serve somebody. You can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you've got, to go, you've got to serve somebody. We imagine that money has made us free, and yet it's made us its slave. Dylan was right. John Lennon actually released, I mean, I, I like Lennon's songs, but the, probably the worst song he ever wrote, uh, called Serve Yourself, in response. And I think that just says everything. I think that just says everything. 
Why on earth would you need to respond again? Serve yourself, absolutely. You're no one's slave. Except you are. So what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus comes and he says, God wants to free us. Christ sets us free. The first thing to realise is that we have a problem. There are lots of ways to tell if we have a problem. If the first thing you think about when you're making a decision is, can I afford it or what's the financial implications, then there's a problem there. I speak to myself. First step towards recovery is to acknowledge we have a problem. Our culture traps us into serving money. It teaches it as a value, expects it as a duty. There is some strand of feminist and conservative thought in a kind of weird, unholy alliance that teaches that everybody has a duty to go to work, to be economically productive. A duty. Slavery. Expects it as a duty and requires it in the cost of living. And this inevitably changes our hearts. Naturally speaking, we tend to put ourselves and our interests first and keep our money. Naturally speaking, we tend to get richer and richer and richer. We need someone to set us free. And this is what Jesus came to do. This is why I put in those verses about, about the Son of God coming to set us free. You see, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. What he's saying is, you think you can stop, but you can't. We think we can stop, but we can't. We can't stop being selfish. We can't stop holding money together. We can't stop getting richer and richer and richer. We can't stop it. We don't want to stop it fundamentally. We're slaves. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free. To free you to be radically generous. To free you to have possessions, to take what you need and then give all you can. I'm kind of free from the idea that you've got to upgrade your iPhone every year. I've come to free you from... You know, that's, I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? What we just assume that we need. It's a trivial example, but it's just an assumption. I've come to free you from it. It's not making you any happier. It promises you the world and delivers you the hell that you experience. And I've come to set you free. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. St. Paul wrote, and he meditated on these verses, meditated on this saying of Jesus, and he said, when the Son of God came, he came to destroy the power of the principalities and powers. Because there are things that hold humanity captive, and Jesus came to set us free. And set us free for what? The first step to freedom and materialism and the love of money is to repent and put your faith in Jesus. To come and say, Jesus, I need delivering. I need this. I need. I want to be different. I want to be radically generous. I could tell you the story about John Wesley and his spoons again, but I feel like I've said it so many times. I want to live like that. I want to be someone who gives grotesquely, who gives extraordinarily, who people look at and say, goodness me, how unwise, but how wonderful that he gives. I want to be someone who people, when they ask me at my, when they ask me at my funeral, when they ask someone at my funeral, what did he do? They say, well, he clothed the naked, he fed the hungry. Did he leave a big estate? Well, no. And who cares? 
first step is to come and to ask Jesus to free us. And then he says, now I want you to know what it's going to look like. Okay? He says, first of all, use your money for God's agenda. Store up treasures in heaven. Right? He doesn't say, don't have money. He doesn't say, don't work for money. Right? This is John Wesley's point. Earn as much as you can. Earn all you can. Be as economically productive as you can. Consistent with everything else God says. Jesus says, use it to earn treasures in heaven. Use your money for God's agenda. That's why we read that passage from St. Paul. Again, St. Paul meditated on this. He pondered what Jesus had taught. And he then said, instruct the people who are rich in the church to be generous with their money, to give it away, and they'll store up treasures in heaven. It's planned giving. Get down to brass tacks. Planned giving of our money. Every single person in this room is beautifully dressed. You are a wonderful, well-groomed, lovely, wonderfully smelling people. It's one of the great privileges of being in a Baptist church. Is I know that everyone's had at least one bath. But it's more than that. It's, you all look great. Very stylish. Every single one of us here has the potential to give. If we plan. Now there might be some who, there are various circumstances in our life. It might be that you have a, a, a husband or a wife who doesn't follow Jesus and actually you need to take decisions with your finances together and that's fine. But I bet if you went to them very often and said, do you know what, I'd really like to give some money away to care for people who have less. I, I imagine most people think that's a good thing to do. Planned giving. Giving to things that please God, to telling people about Jesus, to bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to people. Pursuing reconciliation. We heard about a charity while we were away uh, called International Justice Mission. They literally free slaves. Literally free slaves. Give them your money. Clothing the naked, feeding the hungry. Jesus says, have a good eye. Practice spontaneous generosity. Having a good eye is that generosity has become so a part of us that when we look, we see the world differently. And it changes us, right? You get that. You get the idea of the eyes. The eyes are where you see the world. What puts light in your soul. We see the world differently because we see how can I give and contribute to it? How can I care for you? How can I love you? I've got... £10,000 in my bank account. What do you need? Yeah, we do this as a church. People come to the church, I'm not, obviously, for obvious reasons, not going to say who they are. People come to the church when they need money. So far this year, we've given out somewhere between one and £2,000 to people who needed money. Because we really value this. We want to have good eyes to look around and see, you need something, let me help. Practice spontaneous generosity. And serve Jesus. You've got to serve somebody. Don't imagine with Lennon that you can serve yourself and be free from any master. Just end up trapped in selfishness, self-pity, self-righteousness and greed. Got to serve somebody. To set our hearts to serve Jesus. To say, this is what he wants, I'm going to go and do it. I choose to follow this path. 
How should this change the way we live? Well, if you see your first time in a church, or first time listening to one of these talks, or maybe it's the hundredth time, and you've never said, oh, Jesus, I want to come to you, and I want to give my life to you, and I want, I want you to set me free. I acknowledge, I'm a, I'm a slave to selfishness. I can't help making selfish decisions. I'm not all bad. I'm created in the image of God. I know that. I know I do good things. But there seems to be this thing in the back of my mind that I just keep on making the choice that prioritises me ahead of other people. If that's you and you've never come and said, Jesus, I want you to give me a new start, then this is the day for you. Come to Jesus. If you are a Christian, then how about asking how you take decisions? When you get together and you think, shall I take this new job? Shall I go on holiday here? Shall I do this or that? What are the things, this is a self-diagnosis test, what are the main things you talk about? There are good things to talk about in that equation. How will it affect my family? How will it affect my friends? How will it affect the gospel? Where does it bring me close to Jesus? How will it affect how I give to people? If they're the first things you talk about, wonderful. If they're not, that's a warning sign. It's a warning sign that somehow our priorities have got shifted and we've started to lay up treasure somewhere else. There's not an encouragement to be foolish with money. The Bible is full of really, really helpful, profoundly helpful financial advice. You want, to read, you want the best financial in the world? Financial advice in the world? Read Proverbs. It's full of it. But it's a question about how we begin to take decisions. Is the first thing we ask, how can I love God and love others? Or is the first thing we ask, what benefits me? And then part of this is reviewing our finances. It's intensely practical. I'm sorry this sounds practical. It's intensely practical. How often do you review your finances? Wesley said, I'm saying it because I think it repeats what Jesus means, but he put it snappily. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. How often are we reviewing our giving? To the church, to other charities, to people in need. Now my stipend is not conditional upon how much you give me. I'm not trying to boost my own bank balance. I have no dog in this fight at all. But I do long to see people set free. I'm going to sing a hymn in a minute, one of the all-time great hymns, And Can It Be. The, one of the great verses goes, uh, My chains fell off and my heart was free. That's what I was teaching us to pray earlier. Jesus set me free. And then the next line is, I rose and went forth and followed thee. Some of us need to get up. And getting up and following means working out how much we can afford to give. Money and materialism disappoint, deceive and enslave. Jesus frees us to live for eternity. Now, lest you think that I'm just banging on about some ascetic vision of the Christian life. I want to reaffirm that the way Jesus teaches to live, this is the last thing I'm going to say, is good for us. It is good for us. It's not bad. When Jesus is teaching these things, he's not saying, I want, I want to make a people who are long-faced. Oh, I have no money. Oh, I've given it all away. 
Oh, isn't life hard? This is what the study of social science says, right? Generosity makes you healthy. Right? Jesus knows what he's talking about. Generosity makes you healthy. Chronic high blood pressure kills millions every year, but one study found generosity actually reduced blood pressure. Is your blood pressure too high? Give away your money. Right? Not just blood pressure, generosity also lowers the risk of dementia, reduces anxiety and depression, improves chronic pain management, and more. Stephen G. Post of Stony Brook University School of Medicine said if you were somehow able to package this into a compound, you'd be a billionaire overnight. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Generosity makes you happy. Giving our time and money to others gives us an emotional boost. According to Christian Smith, the researcher, it's built, it's because feeling good is a product of doing good. It's built into our neurochemistry. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Do you want to be happy? Give your money away. Giving triggers feel-good chemicals like endorphins, dopamine and oxytocin. It's true across cultural and business lines. According to the Harvard, School, Harvard Business School study, it's just part of being human. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Generosity lowers stress. Being stingy can raise stress levels. After hooking people up to heart monitors, researchers found that when they were giving too little in a transaction, it actually drove up their stress. Do you want to reduce your stress? Give away your money. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Generosity improves our relationships. Now I'm going to be delicate here. But this is particularly one for those who are married. In a study of generosity and its effects in marriage, researchers found that the recipient of generosity expressed higher levels of marital satisfaction, but so did the giver. Generosity improves relationships. Participants' reports of behaving in generous fashion towards their spouses, so euphemistic, were linked to their own reports of marital quality. The extension of generosity towards the spouse was positively related to their own reports of marital satisfaction. Jesus knows what he's talking about. God designed us this way because it's good. Generosity, this is the killer. Generosity extends your life. Do you want to live longer? Then give your money away. All this adds up to longer life expectancy. In one study of 2,000 people in California found volunteering dramatically reduced mortality rates. The report said subjects who volunteered for two or more causes had a 63% lower rate of mortality than people who didn't volunteer. Do you see what I mean? Right? The deceptiveness of wealth enslaves us, makes us think that it will help improve our lives, but makes us sadder, makes us unhealthy, makes us live less long, so more likely to die, worsens our relationships, whereas storing up treasures in heaven makes us live longer, improves our health, improves our relationships, makes us happier, makes us lower stressed. I'll do a quick survey. How many people were actually surprised by what I just said? I don't mean, it, I mean, obviously I was building up to it, right, but... Surprised by the social surveys, right? I, I was honestly surprised. I was surprised that the giving away the money lowers blood pressure, lowers stress, all the rest of it. I was surprised. Why were you surprised? Why was I surprised? Because we inhabit this lie 
that what we really need is more. And all of the research says, no, what you really need is less. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Money and materialism disappoint, deceive and enslave, but Jesus frees us to live for eternity. Just going to sit in silence for a couple of minutes. Just want to pray, come Holy Spirit. Just sense that God's wanting to speak to some of us. Some of us will be sitting there and just want to ask you if you if you're someone who prays. If you don't pray, then just sit quietly and put your hands out and just see whether God speaks to you. You might be surprised. Shut your eyes. If you're someone who do prays, just does pray, then just quietly be asking God what it is that He's wanting to speak to you about this morning. Just um, stay in a position with your hands out and your eyes closed. I'm just going to pray. I just had it on my heart that there's at least one person who wants to and needs to make that first response to Jesus. So if that's you, if you're listening on a tape and that's you, or if that's someone in the room, I'm going to shut my eyes so that I can't see, but I just want to lead you in praying. Pray silently after me if you want to follow Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came for me. Thank you that you love me. Lord, I know that I am trapped following selfishness and self-centeredness. And I can't get out. Jesus, I believe you died and you rose again to set me free. Give me a new life and help me live for you. Change me. Amen.